Word for today, a ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church in Egan, Minnesota. It is our prayer that the message from God's Holy Word would bring a new and deeper love for Jesus in your life. Welcome to Living Word Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Nathan Olson. It's a blessing and a joy to share God's Word with you today. Here at our congregation, we believe that every single time we open up this book, that we're not just opening up like another book on your shelf, but that we're opening up the very Word of God, true from cover to cover. That this Word is that which convicts us of sin, points us to our Savior Jesus, teaches us what it means to follow after Him. And so we come with an expectancy today. An expectancy that God is going to work through His Word in our lives. That He is going to transform us. That it doesn't go forth without the effect of God's purpose in sending. And it's our invitation that you would come along and listen and be open in your heart to what the Word of God would have to do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just commit this time to you. We set it aside as a sacred time to hear your Word, to be under its teaching. I pray, Lord, for all of our hearts, including mine, that we would be sensitive to how your Word is working through these moments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at our church right now, we are continuing through the Gospel of Luke as our sermon series. We're just working our way verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Gospel. It's been a great blessing and uh, thankful for an opportunity to just see everything in context. Well, today, we come to a very interesting part of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9, and it's Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, the reason why I say this is a very interesting part of the gospel is that it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospel accounts. It's the only miracle that each of the gospel writers felt like they all wanted to make sure got included. Now, I find that very interesting because there's lots of other interesting miracles, some of which are only included in one gospel, like Lazarus being raised from the dead or Jesus walking on the water. Other miracles that we think of and we know, you know, but or maybe just show up once or twice. But this one is particularly unique because it is mentioned in all four Gospels, and it's the only miracle to find its place in them. And what I'd like you to think about as we go through the text today is what's so unique about this one? What's so special about it? Why would all the Gospel writers want to make sure that it got included? What are they trying to communicate about Jesus or about the kingdom of God through the presentation of this miracle particularly? We see as we get into the context here of the feeding of 5,000, starting at verse 1 of Luke chapter 9, we see that Jesus' disciples are just getting done with some ministry. He had previously sent them out and they're going all around preaching about the kingdom of God, we see there in verses 1 and 2 that he calls the 12 together and he gives them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And then verse 2, he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So Jesus is sending out his disciples. They're going out with um, quite a bit of power and authority, right? They're, they're representing Jesus and they're doing things that Jesus would be doing, right? Casting out demons, healing people, and then proclaiming the gospel. The good news that the kingdom of God had come. That God's Messiah was ushering in his reign and calling for people to come and to be a part of it as children of God. And then after this, we see in verse 11 
that after the disciples are, are out and about and they're ministering and they're proclaiming the kingdom of God, that Jesus then calls them to regroup for a time of rest. And you can imagine if you've gone out and you've been you know, working with sick people who are needing to be healed, and you're casting out demons, and you're preaching, it's tiring, right? You're probably exhausted. I think of those who are in the medical community these days and just how tiring that profession is. You're working with people who are sick and, and often lives who are broken, and it can be draining. And so the disciples come back, and Jesus kind of regroups and says, hey, we're going to take some time to rest, to process, and they withdraw to this place called Bethsaida. And the thing that um, Jesus and the disciples had set out to do was very quickly interrupted because people heard where they were going. Right? The cack out of the bag. It, it got leaked where they were heading. And so the crowds hear about it, and they want a piece of Jesus, right? There's, there's other things that are happening in their life. Uncle Frank broke his hip, and this person has a disease, and you know, our cousin Bethany, she caught leprosy. You know, all these different things are happening in people's lives, and they want a piece of Jesus. And it says, particularly in verse 11, that they're in need of healing. It says in verse 11 of chapter 9, When the crowds learned it, that they had been uh, sent over to Bethsaida, they followed Jesus, and, and Jesus sent them away. No, it doesn't say that. Look at the text. What does Jesus do? He, he and his disciples have just gotten done doing ministry, and the crowds follow, and Jesus welcomes them. Jesus welcomes the crowds at a moment of time where he probably had every right to say, you know what, I'm just going to be with my disciples right now for a little bit. No, he welcomes them. And he spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Jesus welcomes them. He ministers to their needs, not just their physical needs that they did have. You know, he's curing those who are sick and need healing. But he also is ministering to their spiritual well-being. He is proclaiming to them the good news of the kingdom of God. And this is a repeated theme that we see throughout the book of Luke, where Jesus is regularly doing this, right? He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And that may seem a little bit strange to you, because, you know, Jesus, he hasn't died on the cross yet. So what is this good news of the kingdom that he's proclaiming? Right? What, what does he have to, to let people know? What, what is this good news for their spiritual souls that Jesus is bringing? I want you to pay attention to that. Because that has to do, that's your little hint, it has to do with why what Jesus is doing here is important. But I'll, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version up front. Jesus is proclaiming about the kingdom of God, that God has come to dwell with his people, that all of the promises that God has made are being fulfilled through the work of the Messiah, that he is there with his people, hasn't forgotten them, that he is Emmanuel, God with them, to provide for them, to sustain them, and that that is what is happening through the work of his Christ. And so we see that Jesus is doing this, right? He's proclaiming about the kingdom of God. He's bringing healing to those who are sick. And we find out from the details here that this is not some small crowd, right? This is not just like, oh, hey, a few people are getting together, you know, 50 or 100 or even a few hundred. No, this is a really big gathering. We hear 
that this is 5,000 men. It says there in verse 14. Think about that. That's a big amount of people. And, and, and likely, probably even a bigger group than 5,000 because it just says 5,000 men. Could be probably quite a bit more, if not double, because of women who are also there present and children like we find out later in the text. And so this is a very big group. And as the day starts coming to a close, and as Jesus has been healing people, and as Jesus is preaching about the kingdom of God, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, verse 12, the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said, send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. You know, you, you can almost sense it from the disciples are coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we can't host these people forever. We're in the wilderness. We're in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of nowhere before, but the middle of nowhere, there, there is not much opportunity for excess food, excess lodging. You're in the middle of nowhere. I remember for our family, we were doing a trip out to North Dakota, and we're on some highway in the middle of nowhere, and it's just beautiful, right? You can look up, you can see the stars, and, and, and there is no lights around. And so for that effect, it's great. But then your gas starts getting a little bit closer to E, and now you start being a little frantic because you are in the middle of nowhere and you're running out of gas. You need to fill up. You need to find civilization. And you, you get that impression a little bit from the disciples' request here. Jesus, we have a huge crowd. They need a place to lodge. Uh, they need food. We have nothing here, right? Jesus, we are in the middle of nowhere. Send the people away. And, and just in case you had forgotten, Jesus, we're tired, right? We had just been out ministering. You had sent us out, and we were supposed to have some R&R time together, a break, and, and now we've got a crowd of 5,000 plus. You know, send the people away. And, you know, for us, looking at it, it seems reasonable, right? That's a very reasonable thing. The disciples have been with the people all day. They've been with people before. Time for a break. And Jesus looks at the disciples, and he says something very intriguing here in verse 13. He says to them, you give them something to eat. Uh, excuse me, Jesus? Yeah, you give them something to eat. <laughs> that's a really funny joke, Jesus. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you counted Jesus, but yeah, that's 5,000 men. And um, men can really put away a lot of food. I don't think that's such a great idea. We give them something to eat. E even if we were going to like muster all of our monies together, there's no way that we would be able to feed that many people. In fact, in one of the other gospel accounts, one of the disciples says, even if we had a whole year's wages, we couldn't feed that many people. You know, it's a lot of people that are gathered here together. And Jesus looks at them and says, you guys do something about it. Give them something to eat. The people are here. We're proclaiming to them both the kingdom of God. We're doing ministry. You provide for them. You give them something to eat. You see, Jesus is pointing out something to the disciples here. He's, he's going to point out who he is. Right and who they are. They had forgotten what Jesus had just sent them to do, to heal and cast out demons. And here they are, having just witnessed the power of God and forgetting who they're with. 
Forgetting who they've been commissioned by. They've been commissioned by the Son of God Himself. And they tell Jesus in verse 13, well, we don't have any more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go buy food for all these people, it's not going to happen. There were about 5,000 men, Luke records there. Jesus, here's our resources. It's pretty limited. We've got a kid's lunchbox. That's going to be great. Yeah, it's got five loaves and two fish. And the underlying Greek there for that is five little tiny biscuits and two sardines. You know, it's not like big salmon that this little kid's carrying around or, you know, five large baguettes. No, this is like five little biscuit, Triscuit biscuits, right? Little tiny things and maybe two little sardines. This is a, this is a lunchbox snack. And the disciples bring it to Jesus and are like, Jesus, what are you expecting? We don't have anything. Are you expecting us to, to make something out of this? Are you expecting us to go and buy food for everyone? Uh, we're poor fishermen. We have nothing. Our, our pockets are empty. And this is where Jesus floors his disciples and he does the impossible. He takes over. As all eyes are on him, he says to his disciples, verse 14, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Now picture this. You have a hundred different groups of 50 each at least, you know, a hundred small churches all gathered together, about the equivalent of that many people. This is a lot of people gathered here. Uh, our youth gathering out in Colorado at Estes Park is about 2,000. This is over double that amount. And that feels like a lot. But finally, the disciples get everyone seated down, and Jesus takes the food, verse 16, and he blesses it. He blesses it, and he sets it out before the crowd. And then you have this line, which is totally amazing. Verse 17. They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Not only are all 5,000 plus people fed, but they were satisfied. They ate until they were full. They didn't have any wants, any more needs. They were perfectly taken care of. In fact, there was so much uh, food that was provided for that the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces left over. 12 leftover baskets, one for each disciple. Just crazy. Jesus shows up and not only does he provide for all the crowds, but even a leftover basket for each of the disciples. That is a miracle. It's just amazing. It's, it's providing for God's people out of nothing. Literally two small sardines and five Triscuit biscuits and all of a sudden all of the 5,000 people in the crowd are having as much as they want plus leftovers. So here's the question. Why would have this been such a big deal? Why would all four gospel writers want to make sure that this was in their account? We find this answer most clearly, I think, in the context of the Old Testament. The proclamation of God's kingdom now coming amongst them. You see, there was another time in human history where God did the same kind of thing. Food literally appearing out of nowhere, not just for one meal, but for 40 years. Remember when that took place? 
For those of you who have read your Bibles, we read in Exodus 16 that as the children of Israel were walking in the wilderness and they're wandering for 40 years, it says that God did what? It says that He provided for them. Exodus 16, verse 4, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven to you. They called it manna. God literally sent down food every, every day for the people to be able to eat. Out of nowhere, just appeared. There it was. And they were able to gather and then to eat it, and they were satisfied. The Israelites had been ready to die in the wilderness. They call out to God, Are you, Do you even care? Do you even notice? And God faithfully provided for their needs. And here, God is. Jesus is signaling that he is the Emmanuel. He is Messiah signaling. He is the one who is God with them in their midst. The living water, the bread from heaven, the one who brings satisfaction, the one who comes and meets the needs of his people. And this event is not just Jesus giving a free meal, it's Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God in a physical, tangible way. The kingdom of God is here. The I am is here. I am the one who is going to provide for you, to take care of you, to satisfy not just your bellies, but your soul. I am the Lord, Yahweh. In John chapter 6, the crowds said to Jesus, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Why do all the gospel writers include this miracle? They want you to know who this Jesus is. He's all these people have been searching for. He is the great I am. He is the God who was, who is, who is to come, the Almighty. He is the Lord. He is the one who sustains all things, provides for all things, meets the needs of his people, watches over them, faithfully leads them, shepherds, and guides them. He's not just a free meal or a vending machine or a genie, but he is eternal satisfaction. Longer than just 40 years in the desert, longer than just a meal on an afternoon on the hillside, but for an eternity, Jesus comes to provide for his people, to watch over them, to guide them. He is their satisfaction, the bread from heaven. The Israelites, they were searching for this, right? They were longing for this. They were longing for satisfaction and searching for it in all the wrong places. They were looking to find satisfaction in the works of their hands, the things that they had done, counterfeit gods and idols that they established. Uh, They were looking for satisfaction in, in people and kings and leaders. And whether you realize it or not, friends, you're searching for it too. You're searching for satisfaction in the things of this world and in all the wrong places. Man, if only 
this happens at the midterm election, or if only this person's elected to this, then we'll be okay. Man, if only I was able to make this amount of money, I would be okay. If only I was able to this or that, I would be okay. If my home was able to sell for this, if my IRA did that, if my grandkids, blah, blah, blah. We have all of these different things that we fill in in our mind that if this happened, then I would be satisfied. I would be complete. My life would be able to be at ease. I would be content. We're searching for satisfaction in so many things. And it's not just objects, right? Sometimes it's even uh, attitudes, respect from people, right? Acceptance, belonging, a friend, or wanting esteem, whatever, whatever it is. There's so many things as you listen today that we, we seek satisfaction in these things. But friends, Jesus comes to the scene and he makes a statement to those who are there and searching. And he says, you don't have to search anymore. I'm the one that you've been searching for, and I've come. I have come to bring you life and bring it abundantly. I've come to fill the needs that you have to satisfy the longing of your soul. I am who I am. And for each and every one of you today, my question is, who is Jesus to you? What do you find when you come to him? Do you come searching for satisfaction? Do you find it in Jesus Christ? Jesus, to these crowds, is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and then manifested it in their midst through this miracle. And all of the gospel writers took note. They realized what Jesus was doing, and it was significant. Do you realize it? Is it significant to you to recognize who this is and what he does? Friends, you could spend a whole lifetime searching and chasing after things. But sometime you're going to get to the end of your life. And I've been with enough people who have been at that point where I can assure you that the things of this world don't satisfy. The prestige, the respect, the esteem from others... It doesn't quench something in you. But a relationship with Jesus does. It changes your life. It gives you a different perspective and a different meaning on fulfillment and identity. Jesus comes to bring you abundant life. And that's a promise that's offered for me and for every one of you. So as you think about this miracle that Jesus came and did. My encouragement to you today is to recognize it's not just something that Jesus did, but it's something that he does. He comes to, to satisfy our longings, our souls. He gives us these examples to show in a physical and tangible way how he does that, and he even does that for us in the church. As we take communion together, we receive in a very physical and tangible way the bread of life. The one who has made satisfaction for us. The one who restores our soul. May your trust be in him both today and forevermore.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today an opportunity to think through this passage. I pray for those who are hearing, would you work in their hearts and lives, Lord, causing them to trust in you. We commit them to you. And now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to God's Word for today. If you are impacted by the message you heard, please consider donating to the ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church by visiting www.livingwordaflc.org.